Good morning. If you would like to read along with me, we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah. It will be chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 20 through 31. Jeremiah 5, 20 through 31. Declare this in the house of Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but not see, who have ears but do not hear. Do you fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the seas, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their heart, Let us fear the Lord our God who gives them the rain in this season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Your iniquities have turned those away, and your sins have kept good from you. For wicked men are found among my people. They lurk like fowlers lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch men. Like a cage full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, have become, therefore they have become great and rich. They have grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not with justice, but... Excuse me. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not with justice, because of the fatherless, to make it prosper, and they do not defend the rights of the needy. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord, and shall I not avenge myself on nations such as this? An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so, but what will you do when the end comes? This morning we're going to talk a little bit about making the right choices. That's the title of the sermon. And we want to look at the nation of Israel Uh, by way of illustration to talk about what God believes on that point. Israel didn't begin its relationship with God in in error or in defiance, in rejection of Him at all. They didn't begin that way. Uh, But that's exactly how it ended. They ended their relationship with God in that exact manner. They rejected the Christ and they began to reject God's laws way before the Christ ever came into the world. And all of that stuff didn't happen overnight either. And I think that's a lesson in itself that we want to notice. It took over a a 1,500-year period for that to even happen. But little by little, they went along and they began to reject God. Now, there is a path that leads to destruction. And there is a path that leads to eternal life. I want us to know 
as we look at Israel and understand they began on the path to eternal life. I say a path because there are many paths to destruction. There's only one path to eternal life. Israel began on that path to eternal life. And then over the course of 1,500 years, they went on a number of other paths that led them somewhere else other than to God. I want to notice what Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with 13. He said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the path that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. That's what Israel did. They went in the broad way. Uh, they walked on that broad path. They went in the wide gate, and they did that for really probably a majority of their existence in this world. The Lord went on to say, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and a few there be that find it. And we see that in Israel as well. Very few of the Jews recognized Christ for who He really was, or uh, honored Him for who He really was, really, is, is what they did. And they accepted Him. And we can make the application in today's world. There are far, far more people who reject Christ and God's laws than those who accept Him. And so when we look at the Bible, we it's full of examples of those who went down the prof, proper paths, though difficult, and then those who went down the, the easier path because it was the way of least resistance. And I think in my mind, at least, when I read through the Old Testament and I find some of these wonderful illustrations that we can apply to the New Testament, and I come across Genesis 24, verses 1 through 8, that's the example of Abraham sending his servant to find a, a wife for his son Isaac. That is a wonderful example of taking the difficult way. Now, we're not going to read that entire passage, but we understand that Abraham called his servant into him, told him to place his hand under his thigh. That was a cultural thing to, uh, to do when you were going to swear an oath or affirm a promise. And he said, I want you to go back to the land of my father's and find a wife for Isaac. He said, I imagine in his mind he was thinking, wow, you talk about a needle in a haystack. You know, why was it that Abraham left the, the home of his fathers? Holy, idolatrous, and wicked, and evil. And in fact, that's what the, the, the servant asked, wasn't it? Well, what if, I, what if I can't find a woman? Or what if I find the woman and she doesn't want to come back? Do you want me to take Isaac back to where he came from? He said, don't you ever take Isaac back to the home of my fathers. Whatever you do, be sure you don't do that. If the woman won't come, you're free from the oath. See, that was an example of the hard task, wasn't it? Wouldn't it have been infinitely easier for Abraham to have found a woman for Isaac right there among the people? People that he knew, people he interacted with. I mean, he didn't want, to, he didn't want Isaac going back and living in Ur because it was wholly idolatrous, just a handful of people, remember Matthew seven thirteen and 14, who believed in the God of heaven. But those in, in Palestine, the land of Canaan, nobody believed in the God of heaven other than Abraham. doesn't appear. And so when we, when we look at that, we see that Abraham took the hard path. Well, what about the servant? He chose the hard path too, didn't he? He didn't get 
you know, a few days out of Canaan and then hole up somewhere for six months or however long he was traveling, find him a woman and say, now look, here's what you do. You tell Abraham, we're from way back home. And then we look at, at Rebecca herself. She chose to leave the home of her father to go marry a man she never met. She didn't even know him, but here's what she did know. Abraham and Isaac and this servant worshipped the same God she worshipped. She was one of the handful. That's why Abraham didn't want Isaac to go back. That's why he wanted to bring a woman from there, from his father's household, to come and be a wife for Abraham. You know, choices. We all have to make them, don't we? We make them every day. Abraham chose to obey God's directives. The servant chose to obey God's directives. Rebecca chose to obey God's directives. And none of them were easy. None of those situations proved themselves to be easy. But that's what they did. But what we see when we look at the example of Isaac and Rebecca is nothing's too difficult for God. Nothing's too difficult. It worked out just as God wanted it to work out. You know, but how was it? We need to look at this if we're going to make the application to our lives today. How was it that Abraham, even Isaac, the servant, and Rebekah, how was it that they were able to make those tough decisions? You know, can you imagine Isaac sitting in that tent waiting, thinking, well, I hope he brings back a nice-looking lady, you know. I hope he brings back someone who, who I can get along with, someone who has a good personality, you know, Isaac had to make a tough choice too, didn't he? So how was it all those involved could make that choice? I think it boils down to two words, trust and obey, right? Trust and obey, if you truly trust and obey, kind of goes together like coffee and cream, if you drink cream in your coffee, right? Trust and obey. You can't have one without the other. You can't trust in God unless you obey God. You can't obey God unless you trust in God. You have to have both, trust and obey. Abraham trusted and obeyed God. Isaac trusted and obeyed God. The servant trusted and obeyed God. Rebecca trusted and obeyed God. You know, there are a myriad of difficult choices that we make in this life, right? That, that have nothing necessarily to do with our religious beliefs. We might have a sick child. What are we going to do? That's a difficult choice. Do I take, do I take him to the emergency room or her? Do, do I wait till Monday? Do you know, what do I do? What am I going to do? Do I try to treat that child at home? What about some, uh, you know, maybe our parents are getting a little older. What do we do? There, something's not going right. What do we do? I have a, a, a decision at, job, at the job. I don't know what to do. What do I do? And we may even have some sleepless nights over those choices, mightn't we? We might have questioned ourselves over the course of a week, laying in bed with our eyes open. Did I make the right choice? Did I do the best thing for my family or for my parents or for my employer? Did I do right? Is this going to turn out the way I wanted it to turn out? Or did I make the wrong choice? We have to ask those questions. And, and, and we're going to think about that from time to time. But the only way for us to be able to determine and to make the right choice is through a study of God's Word. Even when we're not talking about necessarily... Our, uh, our religious lives. The study of God's Word. We need to pray to God. We need to help, ask Him to help 
guide us in our decision making. And we need to live the life He wants us to live based on all those things. And choices make up our lives. We need to earnestly pray and seek true counsel from God and maybe each other. So there are a lot of choices. The real question is, do I want to do it the way I want to do it or do I want to do it the way God wants me to do it? I think maybe that's the question we ought to look at. And so now we come to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was sent to God's people to beg those people to come back to him. To plead with them. To reach out to them. And we read about his pleas and his tears and his great concern as we read through the books of Jeremiah and Lamentations. He was heartbroken over those people and he was very likely murdered for his faith in God. I think an example of a typical statement in the theme throughout both those books can be found in Jeremiah 2 verse 32. Jeremiah said, Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Writing, of course, for God. These are God's words. says, Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. You have God sending Jeremiah. Make the right choice. Choose to come back. Well, you forgot me days without number. (laughs) Isn't that awful? I think very graphic is God's statement. Jeremiah 2 verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. He said, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Not only did they reject God's living water, they wanted to dig a well, it had a hole in the bottom. It wouldn't even hold water. I think the obvious problem is the people chose the wrong path. They made the wrong choice. Obviously that's what happened. And they attempted to direct their own steps. And that's why later... Jeremiah prayed, Jeremiah 10, 23, saying, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Let's look at our history as as humanity. It is full of poor choices. It's full of bad decisions. But thankfully, those of us who live can do something about that, can't we? We can overcome that. How many times have peoples and leaders chosen decisions that contradict what God already chose in the long ago? And what's the result? Every single time. Let's look around the world. What about North Korea? Holy atheist, communistic, they're starving to death. They're murdering each other. Look at any other communistic or socialistic nation. Look at Venezuela, starving to death, eating their pets. Eating their pets. Look at our own nation. Choosing to do what we think is right. We've murdered over 70 million babies since the institution of legalized abortion. And that's not even counting illegal abortion. Trying to institute uh, 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 socialism in our nation. Our leaders are. Our leaders are. Socialism's a sin. It goes against what the Bible teaches. Communism's a sin. It goes against what the Bible teaches. Murders a sin, it goes against what the Bible teaches. Mistreating your fellow man is a sin, it goes against what the Bible teaches. Those are poor choices. But people and leaders have made them from almost the beginning of time. But here's what I think we can do. 
I think we can look at the example of Jeremiah here in Israel and I think we can come to an understanding and we can look at the departure that Israel made and the pattern Israel followed and I think we can make an application to that in our lives today. In trying to bring His people back to the proper path, God made a declaration through Jeremiah. We need to understand that declaration, don't we? He made a declaration. Who was Jeremiah talking to? The faithful. He's talking to the faithful. Who does God reach out to to help carry out His plans? The faithful. He doesn't look to those who who don't believe in Him or those who are unfaithful. He needs the faithful to come together and make proper choices. He needs the faithful to come together and do the things He's asked them to do. He wanted the faithful to deliver a word of warning. Come back to me and make the right choice. That's why He sent Jeremiah. But we need to understand, what's it mean to be faithful? You see, we need to look at this and make an application individually and collectively. What does it mean to be faithful? Well, collectively it means to follow God's Word to the T, right? We do things the way God told us to do them. Period. We don't add, we don't take away. What does it mean to be faithful individually? That means following God's will to the T. We don't add, we don't take away. Speaking with a friend of mine the other day who's a who's a preacher, pretty close to the, not in the Chattanooga area, but pretty close. And he said, here's the problem with repentance. People have got these kind of private sins that they want to overlook. And that's a problem. It is a problem. And we need to look and examine ourselves and say, do I have some of those? Am I doing any of that? Paul said, 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves. That's the declaration from God. If we're going to be faithful and we're going to carry out God's work, we need to be faithful. And we need to determine that. Paul told Timothy, as he was encouraging that man to, to remain faithful, and we've read this a million times, 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering, uh, long-suffering in doctrines. And he says, for the time will come when people are not going to listen to sound doctrine. They want the fables. They want their itch scratched. They want someone to tell them what they want to tell them. That's what being faithful means, isn't it? Teaching the truth and accepting the truth. To be instant, stand ready, be attentive, take opportunity when it's presented. You know, the the Word is the Gospel. And it is by that which we guide our steps, not ourselves. I think it's a sad thing when Elders and preachers and leaders, they substitute the written word for what they want to talk about, for what they want to believe. The faithful are to rebuke the foolish, aren't they? That's the whole idea. God sent faithful Jeremiah to rebuke the foolish, and he wanted the faithful in Israel to join forces and to help Jeremiah spread the word of God. God said his people had eyes that they couldn't see. They had ears, but they... They could not hear. They could not see the wisdom in God's almighty government and the way He formed it and what He expected from those people during that dispensation. They wanted to be like everyone around them. Same thing happens today where foolish people, even in the Lord's church, who want to change the things God has established, whether it's through our organization, our leadership, our practice of worship, uh, our fellowship standards, our discipline standards, 
our uh, view of what evangelism is and our willingness to do it, all those things at some point or another in, in congregations here and there have been changed. You know, here's something else Jeremiah brought out to these people. He said, you came to where you're at in this life in the punishment that you've received and the greater punishment that you will receive because you have been foolish and you've brought it upon yourself. Chapter 4, 18 through 22. Who, who are you going to look around and blame? You going to blame God as you stand in judgment? Whether because... Uh, the army from the north came and got you or because you're standing on that last day in front of you? Are you going to blame God? No, we can't do it. He told them their refusal of correction would bring and had brought about destruction. Chapter 5, verse 3. That was Isaiah's declaration. Or excuse me, Jeremiah's declaration. Right? He brought the message. He wanted the people to come back to God. That's important. But why was it that Jeremiah had to do that in the first place? Why did he have to make God's declaration? Because the people decided that the elimination of God out of their hearts and minds and their lifestyles was what was the smart thing to do. In other words, they rebelled against God. They rebelled against God. They had all the evidence. Jeremiah lists all of the natural things that go on in this world proving the existence of God. Nature can't overcome God. Nature cannot overcome God. God created nature. We talk about Christ being on the cross and what kept Him on the cross. Well, love kept Him on the cross. It wasn't the nails that kept Him on the cross. He created that. He created the trees from which they made a cross. He created the elements from which they made a uh, iron nails. He's in charge. That's why he stayed on the cross. God created this world. The world can't rebel against God. And, and Jeremiah uses nature. And when people decide to circumvent what God has done, you know, now God's going to ask a few questions, isn't he? We see that in the book of Job. Job didn't sin against God. He was... Un, un, uh, uh, wasn't right what was happening to him, but it wasn't God doing it to him, it was Satan. And so Job was misunderstanding a few things, and he thought God was doing it. And so God asked him a few questions. He said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job, you evidently believe that you understand what's going on here. And you think you know me so well. You tell me, where were you when I created the world? And if you've got any understanding on the topic, let me know what that is. Job 38, verse 4. Can you imagine Job saying, uh, what are you going to say? How are you going to answer that? Right? Or he may ask this. Job, you, you think you have such great understanding? You think I'm the source behind this terrible thing? Who shut up the sea with doors that it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb? Job 38 verse 8. Who keeps the sea from coming in and just taking over everything? Who separated the waters from the world, from the earth? Who keeps things maintained in this world? Who does that, Job? You're a man of understanding. Who does all of that? See, that's what, that's what we need to think about 
when we try to circumvent what God says. I believe in our text, Jeremiah's making the point, if the power of nature cannot rebel against God, why do people think that we can? Nature has, uh, has the upper hand on humanity, I'll just tell you. We understand that, don't we? Let's ask those people in the Bahamas. Annihilated the island. Now they've got another storm coming after it's already been destroyed. What, what can you do against that? What can we do against a tornado that comes through and kills how many ever people? What can we do against that? Try to get out of its way. We can't stop it. So if we can't stop nature and God can control it, what makes anyone think they can buck up against God? Same thing in the spiritual realm, isn't it? Same thing in the spiritual realm. We can't choose to do something against God that He hasn't told us we could do. God gives the increase in the physical. He gives the increase in the spiritual. That's what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 7. But people have a stubborn and a rebellious heart. But why? Where does that rebellion come from? They've eliminated God from their minds because they've rebelled, but where does that come from? They're reprobate, aren't they? They don't care anymore. We're not going to listen. We want to do what we want to do. The people brought the withdrawal from God upon themselves. God withdrew from them. Right? God withdrew from them. Among the people were some wicked men. We... We've learned this throughout our study of the Minor Prophets. Amos used this illustration. Hosea used this illustration. Now we see Jeremiah saying, you're like those men who catch birds. You'll take, you'll take a, uh, a bird that you have tamed, you'll stick it in a cage and you'll sit it out and you'll catch wild birds because they see something that looks normal to them and all along it's a trap. It's a trap. You catch the bird. That's what happens in the spiritual realm. Someone comes through with a bigger, better idea that it took 2,000 years and them to figure out, and they put that forth, and, and everybody says, well, it kind of looks normal. It's kind of in alignment, but they don't do it overnight. It's just like Israel leaving God. It took 1,500 years, so someone comes in, and it might take many years for, for someone who's apostate to, to run a whole congregation, but that's what they do. Well, that looks okay. That's kind of what we've been doing all these years. And then you kind of change it and change it, and eventually all those who uh, have been faithful to God, just like when Joshua died and all the elders who, who obeyed God, and there arose another generation. Now you've got a whole blank canvas of people who don't really know how we used to do it or why we used to do it. And they're not looking in the Bible. They're just listening to the fellow standing in the pulpit or or the priest, or whoever it may be, not paying a bit of attention. See, we need to understand that. That's exactly, exactly what Jeremiah's pointing out. We need to be careful with that. I don't understand people who claim Christ as their Lord, who claim the New Testament church as the body to which they want to belong, and then they're teaching some things they shouldn't teach. They know what the warnings are. James warned don't a lot of you be teachers because you'll receive the greater condemnation, right? That's what he talked about. And we can't allow the world to suck us in. That's what Israel did. You know, here's one of the problems that we have in our world when it comes to sin. Someone says, 
Well, I don't agree with that. But hey, that's their business. Okay? Now, we have to do that in a lot of ways. Okay? We have to do that in a lot of ways. We're not militant. We're not going to raise an army. We're not going to march on people who, who uh, you know, we see this in the news all the time. You have those, quote, churches that uh, want to be militant against this homosexual movement. Look, we don't agree with it. We don't agree with it. But we're not trying to get in your, in your private life outside the fact we just not, we're, not, we're going to stand against it. We're not going to say it's okay. Well, what Israel was doing and what those people in Rome were doing said, hey, we don't do it, but we're going to support you in it, and if that's what you want to do, go ahead. We could say that about any number of sins, any sin, every sin. I don't want to lie, but hey, if you want to lie, I'll help you out. I don't agree with homosexuality, but if you want to be that way, I'll help pass a law. I think abortion is, is wrong. I'm not going to do it personally, but I'll help you pass a law. You know, I don't think we ought to drink, but if it comes up for a council vote, I'll vote it in here in the city. And you know, that's how that's how it all got a foothold throughout the world, right? And so that's what Paul's talking about, Romans 132. It's what James talked about. The people the people brought all this on themselves. Because of their actions, they had to make a declaration because of the elimination of God out of their lives. And then God made the determination. And when God makes a determination, it is done. He decided. He wanted to make the statement. And he asked the question, Will I not avenge myself? Jeremiah 5.29 Of course he would avenge himself. Of course he would punish the wicked. And that's a rhetorical question, isn't it? He's not trying to get information from Israel. Am I going to avenge myself? Well, of course, they knew he would avenge himself. If you behave this way, God's going to make a statement. God's going to make an action. What would make them think otherwise is the thing, right? And we see that same thing happening in the world. Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 21, talking about... Uh, it, uh, people in the church who had decided through their wisdom they were going to change some things. False teachers. Well, Israel decided through their wisdom they were going to change some things, so God's now, He's all of a sudden foolish. Well, you know what God said? Paul said, well, God saves the world through His foolishness, not through man's wisdom. See, we need to be careful about that. When people believe their wisdom is greater than God's, They'll be rewarded for their iniquity. The sins God avenged, Jeremiah said, they're astonishing. <laughs> he could not believe it. He said, I am astonished. The leaders were appalling in their actions. They were appalling. Notice again what the phrases of Jeremiah intend. And the priests rule by their own power. That literally means upon their hand. Now whether the prophets instructed them to do that or whether they said look we're the final power we're going to make the decisions we see that in the church today with uh, corrupt elders and corrupt preachers and corrupt leaders of all sorts it's a sinful situation but it was popular among the people I think maybe the saddest question here as we close is but what will you do in the end what will you do in the end your behavior Caused God to send Jeremiah to make a declaration. 
He pointed out the elimination of God in the lives of Israel. God made a determination, and then Jeremiah asked, What are you going to do in the end? That too is a rhetorical question. Nothing you can do in the end. When it's the end, it's over, right? Now we're standing on the life we led in this world. There's always an end, and there's always a judgment, and it'll always be that way. Jesus warned this, Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father and with His angels, and then He shall reward every man according to His works. In the context of Jeremiah, the people refused to repent, so an army from the north came and took them away. They ceased to exist. They went out of existence. They had rejected God's counsel. They had rejected His wisdom. Spiritual Israel will suffer the same way. Now we need to look at this again individually and collectively. Spiritual Israel, the church, each one of us make up the church spiritually for God. We have to pay attention to what we're doing individually. We have to pay attention to what we're doing collectively. We cannot be faithful individually and just sit by as collectively we're doing something we shouldn't do. Collectively we cannot be faithful to God if we do not pay attention to each member and individual to ensure that each of us are living in the correct manner. That is the job of the church because they are sending God's warnings to the world. The simple plea of God was this, Jeremiah 16, verse or Jeremiah 6, verse 16. Ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? Make the right choice. Walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. Look at the choices. Make the right choice. You'll benefit from it. But the sad reply for physical Israel was this. We will not walk therein. We will not do it. They stood up in the very face of God, rebuked Him, dismissed Him, and paid zero attention to Him. What will our answers be today? That's a challenge for us. What are we going to do in the end? Are we going to seek the old paths, both collectively and individually? Are we going to do what God has asked us to do? Or are we going to stand up and reject Him just as Israel did? We have these things left for us for a reason. Romans 15, 4, Whatsoever things written aforetime was written for our learning, that through patience and hope of the Scripture. Right? That's what, that's what it's about. We need to learn from Israel. So we can make a choice individually. Obey the gospel. We understand how to do that. Through faith. Peter said repentance. Acts 2.38 uh, The Ethiopian eunuch confessed Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Acts 8.37 Ananias told a praying Saul. Been praying for three days. Prayer won't get you into heaven. Not if you're a sinner. Not if you're an alien sinner. You've never been a member. He said, Arise and be baptized, verse, 20, uh, verse 16 of chapter 22. Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We call on the name of the Lord through obedience to what He's told us to do. Israel refused to call on the name of the Lord. And they refused to live faithfully. And that's what we have to do. We have to live faithfully. Those who endure to the end, Matthew 10, 22, the same shall be saved. What was Israel's need? Well, they were the children of God. They weren't alien sinners from God, so they needed to repent of their sin. They needed to confess their sins before God. They needed to pray to God to pray to God and ask Him to forgive them. That's what the Christian does today, according to James chapter 5. We repent, we confess, 
and we ask God to forgive us. Sometimes we have to do that publicly. And we need the church to pray for us. If you have a need to ask the Lord's invitation this morning, please do that as we stand and as we sing.